What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, we have a Q&A style podcast lined up, and I'm excited because we got a handful of pretty good questions here. I took these from my Instagram Q&A that I did this past week, so thank you to everybody who asked a question and who continue to ask questions. I have a lot of fun doing that, but a few of them I wanted to talk about a little bit more in detail here on the podcast today, just something that is kind of difficult to just, you know, talk about on a one page slide of your Instagram story. But one of the first questions was, what does research say on water? How much water should you be drinking? What does research say on water consumption? How much water should you be drinking per day, essentially? So I think we all know that water is really fucking important, right? But there's this, I wouldn't even call it a debate, but confusion around like how much water is even enough water. And before we talk about hard numbers or things, I I think one of the easiest ways to tell if you need more water in the moment is how frequently you're urinating or what your pee looks like when you do go to the bathroom. If it's lighter in color or closer to clear, kind of like a lemonade consistency or a little bit lighter, you're probably good. If it's a little bit darker than that, you know, maybe like a like a Gatorade type of color or like if it looks like a like beer, you know, like color consistency, like chances are you probably need some more water. So I when I think about like what does the research say about water consumption, to be honest, it's all over the place. And one of the common, you know, recommendations that you'll hear a lot of people say and and honestly something that I say as well is drink your or drink half of your body weight in ounces of water per day. And I tend to agree with that because it's a really good starting point. And I find that a lot of people don't actually drink that per day. Like it's it's amazing. And, and you might be listening to this podcast right now and saying, oh, I drink plenty of water. I drink, you know, X amount per day and I keep track of it. Like that's awesome. The reality is, is like a ton of people do not drink enough water consistently. And when I say consistently, I mean like day to day, because it's one thing to like be super good with water or like Monday to Wednesday. And then your Thursday's different and Friday. And then come weekends times, like you're, you're drinking or doing different things, like having enough in, in staying hydrated consistently, it's actually a lot more difficult. And unless you're intentionally thinking about it and trying to do it, some of us might be falling short of that per week. So In general, I do tend to recommend like, hey, take your body weight in pounds, divide that by two, and you will get a number that is representative of how many ounces of water you should be drinking per day. So if you're 180 pounds, you know, like 60 ounces or more per day could be a good starting point. And I say a starting point because there's a great chance that like, sorry, 60, and that my math was terrible there. 90 ounces of day could be a good starting point. Um, But I I say a good starting point because water needs could honestly vary day to day, depending on activity levels or how sedentary you are or what type of activities you're doing, what your workouts look like, what type of workouts are you doing? Are you an athlete? Are you practicing? Are you playing in games? Like how much are you sweating? Are you getting in a sauna or a hot tub? Like 
day to day things can definitely change and, and you might need more or less on some days depending on how much or how little exercise or activity or how much you're on your feet, uh, you know, or for, for the course of the day, like how much you do can somewhat dictate more or less what you need to have. But I would generally say like half of your, you know, um, body weight in ounces is a good starting point. There was also a paper that was published, man, less than I think 10, 15 years ago that kind of gave blanket recommendations on, Hey, if you're a male, 120 ounces is a good minimum. And if you're a female, it was like 80 to 90 ounces a day would be another good minimum. So a little, a little bit different and slightly higher than what most people might calculate if they're doing that body weight conversion. But I, I tend to agree with that as well, but it kind of depends where you start at. Like if you actively keep track of like, hey, how much water am I drinking per day? You find that you're drinking 50 ounces of water and theoretically you might be needing 90 to 100 per day. Like you getting up 30 or 40 more ounces is a really good starting point. So, you know, doubling or tripling your water intake just to meet a minimum recommendation, like you might not feel very awesome or it might be actually really fucking difficult to do that or you might find yourself peeing more in the middle of the night right and it's like I'd rather have you incrementally increase these you know ounces that you're drinking per day instead of just doubling or tripling what you've been doing day to day so at the end of the day I would just really recommend you actually keeping track right of how much water you're drinking on a Monday and compare that to what you're doing on a Saturday and every day in between, right? And, and what you're doing on Sunday night and like just keep track and get a baseline of what you're consistently hitting per day. And then if you're not getting half of your body weight, you know, in ounces per day, that could be your starting point. Maybe you get that. Maybe you feel good. Maybe your, you know, pee is relatively, you know, in a lighter or, or clear and, you're probably good to go. Honestly, I wouldn't think too much about this, but for those people who are not drinking enough water, I would definitely buckle down and really just be more vigilant of how much you're drinking day to day because water is important for a ton of things, right? Not just like staying hydrated, like, like water H2O is like needed for literally every reaction in our body. So it's, it's super important. And we're, when we're dehydrated, a lot of things can be impaired with that. Things like even digestion too, right? Like water helps, it can help break down, you know, your food. It also allows nutrients to be absorbed. Um, it can also help or relieve constipation if you're struggling with any GI distress in that department. Water, Walter, or sorry, water has also um, been shown to be somewhat of like a mild appetite suppressant as well. Like drinking water can increase the feeling of satiety and prevent you from overeating at meals. Um, you know, drinking water can also help improve your workouts too, right? If you're hydrated, you're probably going to have better workouts compared to somebody who's dehydrated, not feeling super awesome and going into your workout, not feeling super well. You're probably going to get more out of those workouts if you are adequately hydrated. Um, you know, another thing I would say is like brain function, like super underrated, like ha having adequate hydration. There's even like a one to two or 3% loss in you know total body water can affect your mood and your concentration and your memory so hydrating is definitely correlated to like brain health or just brain function in general and if we look at like you know a recovery standpoint being hydrated is also super 
you know, super important there. Like, especially if you're exercising consistently two, three, four, five days a week, like your muscles are over like 70% water or something like that. And, and water is essential when, when, you know, we're trying to build muscle or we're trying to repair and recover from these training sessions. So maintaining hydration is important for that as well. And yeah, also like sleeping better too, right? Like if you're dehydrated and you're having things like muscle cramps or dry mouth or headaches, like it can make it hard to fall asleep, you know? And, and I'm catching myself as I say this here, cause I, I don't want you to like pound 12 ounces of water immediately before you put your head to the pillow, because that'll keep you up peeing all night and that's going to disrupt your sleep too. But that's not really what we're going for. But I just want you to keep in mind, like adequate hydration throughout the course of the day is going to be super important and it can help you sleep a little bit better too. So what are recommendations? Like ladies, maybe 80, 90 ounces a day. Guys, 120 ounces a day could be a good, a good starting point or just a good point in general. Or you could just divide your weight in half and drink that in ounces. And that could be a good starting point too. Whatever whatever you prefer. And, and even, even if you don't look at a number standpoint, if you don't want to track, like I totally understand and get that you could just build some routines around when you drink water and, and, and have some of those decisions made for you because you have water bottles or, you know, something in your schedule that say, Hey, drink X amount of water. For example, like when you get up, maybe the, one of the first things you do is drink eight to 12 ounces of water right? And, and then you do the shower or, or, you know, drink your coffee or whatever it might be. But like, can you start your day with like eight to 12 ounces of water? And then maybe by 10 o'clock or 11, like whatever your schedule looks like, maybe you're drinking another 30 to 40 ounces. Once you get that in, you know, maybe that'll put you around 40, 50 ounces for the day. And then maybe by 2 p.m., your goal is to have another water bottle or whatever it is finished. And then you can kind of just drink, you know, as you feel um, comfortable doing later in the day. So you're not drinking a ton of liquids before bed, but you could also just schedule your water consumption and, and try and have these benchmarks in throughout the course of the day. So I don't know. I don't think there's a wrong way to do it. And this is going to look different for everybody, depending on your schedules and your work and your exercise, right? And your, your climate. So I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to give general recommendations when there's so many things that could be tailored and individualized to you, but keep some of those blanket recommendations in mind. And if you're not doing that right now, that's probably your best starting point and getting into routine with that and, and continuing on that forward. So cool. Good question. Next one I have is, is it safe to eat four whole eggs, a bagel and milk every day, or is that too unhealthy? So before I answer this question, we always have to remember that your health is determined by way more than one meal or one food or one, you know, type of, you know, meal consumption, um, or what we do for breakfast consistently. Like our health is just, is it's, it's so much more than that. So multifactorial. It's so multifaceted, right? Like you know, the question could have listed any type of food here. And, and I probably would have said the same thing with that. Right. And when it comes to the different inputs, we have to remember like, Hey, some of the big rocks here are getting enough protein. Like what are your total calories for the day? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you hydrating? Well, going back to the last question, right? Like, are you getting enough fiber? Are you resistance training or lifting or exercising consistently? 
Like, what does your daily activity look like? Like, are you, are you getting enough steps in or are you doing some type of cardio around your lifts? Um, what is your stress management like? Like, what is your mental health? What is your relationship like? Are you getting out in the sun? Like, there's, there's so many things that can impact your health beyond like, hey, am I eating three or four eggs a day in some milk? So just keep that in mind. Um, you know, when I read this question, I immediately thought like, hey, you're getting some protein. You're getting actually a really nutrient-dense source of protein as well. Like, like egg, egg whites are a really good lean source of protein. Egg yolks are very nutrient-dense, also good source of protein. Yes, people will bring up like, oh, it has a ton of cholesterol. And in reality, that is not as big as what we thought it was. Research has kind of debunked this like, hey, if you eat a, if you eat eggs consistently, you're always going to have high cholesterol. Like again, there's more that goes into that, but eggs are eggs can be a relatively, you know, friendly and safe food and good could be a really good convenient option for a lot of people, even though they're like $12 for like 12 eggs right now. It's kind of insane. Um, but really with this, it's like, hey, it sounds like you're getting a protein source with your eggs. You're getting a bagel, right, with um, those eggs. I don't know what you if you put butter or cream cheese or whatever on the bagel, but you're getting a carb source, which is great. Um, even milk, another carb kind of fat, also protein source as well. But hey, we're getting a decent amount of calories. You're getting some volume. You're getting protein. Like at face value, it's not it's not a bad breakfast at all. Like, I think that's, it's great. And if we were comparing that to like you just having a bowl of cereal, like this, this type of breakfast is going to hold you over for longer, which is a really good benefit. So think about that. Like, Hey, where's my protein? Where's my carb source? Like, am I getting some source of energy, some protein? Am I going to stay fuller for longer? Now, what I might add or recommend adding to this is like a fiber source, whether that's in the form of a fruit or, Maybe you use your milk to make a smoothie and you put some veggies and fruit or protein powder and you're trying to just maximize the liquid, you know, calories or things that you're consuming with the eggs in the bagel per day. But really at most meals, when it comes to like plate composition, for like a generally healthy person living a long, healthy life, usually if we build our plate around a protein source and we get some type of fiber in there, that's an amazing start. And then we fill that with fill around like carbs or we get a fat source or, you know, this person's having milk. Like there's things that we could add to that plate. But once we have our protein and our fiber, you know, the other things, you know, might not be as important, but getting that protein and fiber is super important. And I would recommend, hey, here, maybe the one thing that might make this even a little bit better is can you add a banana, right? Or can you add I wouldn't say avocado is a crazy awesome source of fiber, but there's some like, could you add avocado to your bagel, right? Could you, could you add a smoothie? Could you have an apple, like something portable? Like it doesn't have to be crazy, but like, can we put a handful of berries on a plate and eat that with it as well? Like there's, there's a lot of things that we could do, but I'd, I'd, I'd push you towards thinking like, how can I get a fiber source? Because hitting our fiber goal over the course of the day is also a super important thing from you know, from a weight management standpoint, from a satiety standpoint, from a digestion and gut health standpoint, from even maintaining, you know, healthy uh, blood lipid markers and, 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 and maintaining a healthy cholesterol, like fiber is good for so many fucking things, but how can you get more fiber sources? I think getting a fiber source with, with breakfast is a really underrated way 
to get more fiber in over the course of the day to also enhance the quality of whatever meal that you're having with breakfast that day. So long story short, like going back to the starting question, like is, is it safe, quote unquote, safe to eat four whole eggs, a bagel, milk every day, or is that too unhealthy? No, it's not too unhealthy. And I think unhealthy is a very subjective term, you know, and, and like, is this the best possible breakfast? Like, I don't know if we can actually answer that, right? It's like the best possible breakfast for you is going to look different than what it looks like for me or your friend or your mom. And yes, there's going to be some overlap between the two, but it, it all depends. But I would argue that, hey, you have a really good foundation here, but can we add a fiber source to just make that a little bit better and, and add a little bit of micronutrients, a little bit more fiber? And you might find that that helps keep you a little bit fuller until lunch and and maybe your likelihood of feeling hungrier later in the day or binging later in the day decreases because we're having more calories and, you know, complex, you know, uh, nutrient dense source of these calories. And you just might find that that might be the thing that helps make this breakfast even better than what it already is. But no, long story short, that's not an unhealthy breakfast. And I'd say it's a pretty damn good one. So cool. Good question. Next one I have is thoughts on intermittent fasting for somebody trying to body recomp. Thanks. Thank you for asking the question. It's a good one. So intermittent fasting. I don't actually know if I've talked about intermittent fasting a whole lot on this podcast yet. Maybe I had another Q&A where we talked about it. But really, when we boiled everything down, intermittent fasting is it's just an adherence tool, right? Like like you'll, you'll see on social media or hear a bunch of people say, oh, intermittent fasting is incredible for autophagy and, you know, human growth hormone and, and being able to, you know, control calories and, you know, it's just everybody should do it and insulin sensitivity. Like you'll hear a lot of claims um, around intermittent fasting, but when it boils down to it, kind of what we've seen in the research the last five, 10 years is that intermittent fasting is a tool it's a tool to help people manage or reduce their total all, or sorry, their total overall um, caloric consumption. And the benefits that we get by restricting calories, by losing a little bit of weight, is when we see improvements in a lot of these other markers that people are claiming intermittent fasting is doing. When in reality, it's not necessarily intermittent fasting, like it's you not eating for 12 or 16 or 18 hours a day. That's not the thing that's making all these things improve. It's the fact that you're eating less than what you were before and you're likely losing weight because of that. And that is what improving is improving those markers instead of the tool that you're using to do that. So just like with other diets too, I like if you, if you do paleo or you do whole 30 or you do 75 hard, I don't even think that's a diet, but you know, you have like a diet protocol, but if you lose a percentage of your total body weight or you cut back on calories or you eat a little bit better, more whole foods, like the benefits you know, that you see in your blood work, in your body composition, in, you know, just you, how you feel in general is likely related to you losing a little bit of weight in, in maybe um, controlling calories for a period of time when otherwise you weren't. So that's where intermittent fasting, you know, we need to just understand like it's a tool. It's not this magic thing that is helpful for everyone. Now that doesn't have a whole lot to do with the body recomp question that was asked, but I just want to make sure that we're on the same page with that. And my response normally when it comes to intermittent fasting is like, if it's something that helps you adhere um, to whatever calories or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish while you are enjoying your life, 
you're good to go. Like I, I love it and it, it's fine. And I'll be honest, I did intermittent fasting for nine months to a year. And at the time it was, it's kind of a long story, but it's, it's one of those things where I'm grateful for I did it because I got the experience of doing it and I learned a lot from doing it. But when I was doing it, I had the intent kind of very similar to this question of like, how can I get shredded? How can I build muscle? When in all reality, I was trying to go in two directions at once. I was trying to build muscle, but I was also trying to lose weight and to like be as lean as possible, which is like going, you know, um, in drive in reverse at the same time. It's just not something that's, that's going to happen. So um, my expectations from intermittent fasting were, um, you know, not managed in the beginning. So after that nine months, I, I learned a lot. I was lean. It was easier for me to stay lean because I wasn't eating breakfast and I was just pushing my meals later in the day and I wasn't eating a lot at, you know, late at night. So it definitely helped me control calories in that sense, which helped me maintain my, you know, lower body weight, lower physique at that point. But there came a point for me, and this is me personally, and this is also something that I talk with and have worked through with other people as well. But there comes a point where it's like, it's, it's not always feasible for people, nor do people actually enjoy it. And maybe it doesn't actually fit with your schedule and with your routine. You know, for example, like I'll bring up maybe myself who was trying to like build muscle and wanting to like, you know, gain a little bit of muscle, which is something that I had never intentionally done, but I was only trying to eat in this fasting window. It was really freaking hard to eat 3,300 calories within a six hour window or even an eight hour window for that, for that fact, right? Like when I was eating or able to eat or I gave myself permission to eat because this is what the fasting adherence protocol was, right? It's like you have a lunch, you have a smoothie, you have a dinner, like a lot of times, unless you're eating just total fucking garbage food and eating like a high schooler, like it's hard to get good quality meals that close together and not feeling like you're super nauseous or, you know, you're definitely full during that time. And yes, it helps you from overeating, but if you're trying to eat more calories, it's just not a really good tool to help you do that. Another thing that I see a lot of is like, Hey, yeah, people want a body recomp and, you know, and, and if we talk about what body recomposition is, it's like just it's changing your body recomposition or body composition. It's like, Hey, can we lose fat? Can we gain muscle or maintain your muscle? And you will look different, even though maybe you might not weigh a ton different than what you did in the beginning. And part of that comes with like, are you resistance training and exercising enough and eating enough protein? Like there's a lot of other inputs to body recomposition instead of like just your dietary protocol or when you're eating. But I found that for me, there came a point as well, where it was like, I was training in the morning, but not eating until later in the day. And if we look at like the anabolic window, yes, it's not really as much of a thing as once we thought it was like you have to, this idea that you have to eat within an hour or two after your lift, or you're going to shrivel up into a raisin and not make the best gains. Like that's not true. And it's more of like a total consumption of calories and protein over the course of the day. That is far more important, but I see it all the time where people are even doing the group classes or lifting. It's like I get up and I have a job from nine to five, whatever. I get up, I train at six or 7 a.m., but I'm fasting and I, I just drink water and then I drink coffee and then I don't eat till 12. And then you know, I eat from 12 to five or seven or eight, like whenever your your feeding window is. And then you know you go to bed and, and you start that over and over again. And 
not eating after doing like a high intensity workout or lifting for like three or four hours, I would just say is not the best plan. Um, and it could be really difficult for some people. And, and chances are like you will do better having food closer to your training session, whether it's before or after and being able to mitigate some of the calories that you eat later in the day. And you might find yourself less likely to binge later in the day because you're actually eating more calories early in the morning or around your training session. You know, and another example might be, hey, somebody's training later in the day or at four or five o'clock, but their feeding window is only from 12 to 7 p.m. And you have a, you have your lunch and whatever snack or something and you're training a couple hours later, like from a digestion standpoint, it's, it can be hard to like get up and, and have good workouts when you're eating so much or so close to the time that you're going to work out. And I find that it's just, it's not a conducive tool for everybody. And a lot of people who do it, love it. And the reason they love it, because it works for their lifestyle and it kind of fits their routine, but that does not automatically mean that it's going to fit your routine as well. So, you know, I have, I have some, some reservations when it comes to recommending intermittent fasting. Like for some people it makes sense and, and it might be conducive to them trying to lose fat and and get into a calorie deficit and it eliminates a source of calories coming from the morning or maybe late at night when they were originally eating. And it's a good way to save for calories. And, you know, some people like it and they can work out at noon and then eat after like, like some people it works, you know, depending on what the windows are and all that stuff. But I find that it just, it doesn't work for a lot of people too. And I, if this is you, like I, I don't want you to think that you have to do intermittent fasting because you heard from somebody else or an influencer that that was what worked for them and they look super shredded, that that's what you need to do to look like them or to which you wanting to look like somebody else is a conversation for another day. But you get where I'm going at here. It's like, I, I just don't want you to feel bad if that's not something that actually works for you. And the other thing too, I want you to remember is like when you limit yourself to when you're eating throughout the day it can kind of create an unhealthy relationship around meal timing and when you're eating and the foods that you're eating. And I find that sometimes people need to like re reheal their relationship with um, food or with the times that they eat or like eating fucking breakfast in a waffle again because they deem this thing is this, this bad thing and them cutting it out for six months was the thing that maybe lost them the weight. It's like when in reality they could have likely also eaten breakfast and controlled calories and eaten like, you know, a normal, you know, routine and still gotten the same results. Like, I don't know. I just, I find that it's, it's just not the best tool for everybody. And in long story short, if it works for you, if you try it, if it fits your routine, like you're able to adhere to your calories. Like I, I love that for you. Like it works so well for some people and some people can literally do it for the rest of their lives. If you know, if they're in that headspace and it really does work for them, but it doesn't work for everybody. And can you get the same results as you eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks in between and, and, counting calories or tracking calories and protein and not maybe not even tracking calories or protein and, and building your plates and and having like you know predominantly protein and plants at your meals and having healthy snacks like yes you can 100% get to your body recomp goals by eating more throughout the course of the day and spacing those out as well so I don't know my thoughts are if it works for you and you like it and you enjoy it great if you don't know what it's like and you want to give it a shot and you have my full permission. I'm not that I need to give you permission, but you have my support been doing that, but just understand some of the cons and the trade-offs that might come with intermittent fasting and 
you know, if you get three months in and you feel really fucking guilty for having brunch with your girlfriends at a bachelorette party, like, I don't know. I just, I don't know if that's always the best way to, to approach things. If you're feeling guilty or shamed into doing some of these things or doing it because you think it's something that's going to work for you because it's worked for another person. So I don't know. I, I think that intermittent fasting can be cool. I also think it could be something that, you know, can jump off a cliff for some people. And I, I, I just want you to make the best decision for you. So that was a really roundabout way of saying you do you. And, you know, sometimes there's like a, Hey, let's try it and figure it out for ourselves. This is something that's going to work for us. And it might, it might not, but sometimes you need to try it and, and do that. So cool. Next question is, can you outwork a bad diet and still have good results? So I'm going to, I, and I feel like most of us at one point have heard this, you know, <laughs> this sentiment of like, you can never outwork, you know, outwork a bad diet kind of thing. When in all reality, it's like, man, there's a lot of ways we can go with this question, but I would say definitions of certain words from this question need their own attention before we could like answer a question for this person individually. But like, what, what does bad quote unquote look like to this person? And what does good results look like to this person? Cause that might look different for everybody. Right. But if I had to answer like a yes or no, like this is a binary question, like I'd probably say no on this, just a blanket general no. But again, like, I, I don't know. I would, I would say no because saying yes would mean that you could just do whatever the fuck you want and get the same results as if you, you know, maybe had a more balanced, more thought out, more, you know, um, um, kind of healthy diet and pattern around your exercise. Cause yes, you're going to get better results that way. But to say that, you know, to say that your results are like this on or off switch is not actually a thing. It's more of a dimmer switch, right? And your diet can 100% prevent you from turning that motherfucker all the way up and getting the best results or the best light possible, right? But even though you're not dialed in with your diet all the time, like the lights are still going to be turned on, right? If you're still working and you're, you know, whether you're resistance training or you're an athlete or you're running or you're a triathlete or, you know, you're a power lifter, like you can still eat a certain way and get these results, but it might be there might be a diminishing return after a period of time if you don't change some of these things with your diet, right? Um, and I would also say, like, just a slight pivot here, like, for those who feel the need to, like, outwork or burn off, like, the calories or everything that you're eating, or, or if you're exercising to just justify eating all the things all the time, like, I, I do think that there's room for, like, a different conversation in that context, and we need to address some other things before we can change anything else with your diet. But again, there's kind of a lot to unpack with this question, but my answer would still be no. Like you can't outwork a bad diet and see the progress that you've been hoping to see. You know, you could see some of it, but probably not all of it. And that could be the limiting factor sometimes in you reaching your goals at the end of the day. And again, this, this good or bad diet, you know, good results will change from person to person. And, you know, whether you're a beginner or moderate or advanced in your sport or training or whatever you're doing, like how early on and how much body fat you have, how lean you are, there's a lot of, a lot of inputs that we need to address to, again, be able to give a super clear answer for this. But 
I would, again, just say no. Like you, you can't just, you know, have a trash diet and not, and, and, and expect, you know, the best results. Cause when you don't have an awesome diet or a quote unquote bad diet, like you're probably not getting enough protein consistently, right? You, you might be overeating calories or some of these foods that, you know, are delicious, hyper palatable, easy to overeat. You might be putting yourself in a surplus. You might be gaining excess body fat sometimes over time with this. Um, you know, you might not be getting enough micronutrients or fiber or things that are also really important for, um, overall health, but body composition as well. So, uh, I would say, I would say no to this, but again, the, some of the, the words need their own definitions before we can give like a concrete answer to some of these things. So cool. The last one I have here is thoughts on going low carb for two weeks before a beach vacation next month. Super quick here. Cause I have a call here in three minutes. Um, Wow. You know, you do you. I feel, I feel like if you know me and you've listened to me and you've consumed my content, you, you know how I feel about this. Um, but I, what I would say is I, I can't tell you to do it or not to do it. You know, like, like that's always going to be a decision that's up to you. But chances are you've probably done this before and you're still in the same spot year after year or trip after trip. Um, but what happens a lot of times in these situations is you lose a ton of water weight you might have GI distress or diarrhea or just low energy and no social life for two weeks leading up to that trip, which again, I would argue is still like a quality of life thing that we need to consider in, in a trade-off that you're, you know, expecting to, to make and prep for whatever trip that it is that you're taking. But doing all of that and going through all that, what will likely happen is maybe you'll look a little bit leaner or a little skinnier for the first pick, like on the first day of your trip when you get there. And then what will happen? It's like you have dinner or lunch that night and you have the fucking nachos or you have a drink or, you know, you have the bread with dinner. And it's like, before you know it, you'll just blow up with all that water weight by the second day of your trip. And you're kind of just back to day one where you were two weeks ago. And in reality, like you you really can't do anything meaningful in two weeks to prepare you for a trip. Like if this trip or this wedding or whatever it was, it was like incredibly important to you and you really wanted to make a difference. I'd recommend you probably start three to six months before that event and taking it a little bit slower because one that will help you again. I'm And even the idea of you doing something for a short period of time just to look good in a picture, like I think is, I think warrants another conversation, but we'll save that for another day too. But personally, I just don't think that you should give a fuck about, you know, losing some water weight before vacation enough to want to do something like this, to go low carb and just kill yourself for, you know, a a week or two before your trip only to just kind of lose it all come day two of that trip, whatever it is. So again, it's up to you. I would advised against it. No one gives a fuck what you look like. Honestly, we're, we're always going to be the most critical person of ourselves. And we're really the only people that think about us and, and, and will critique us at the end of the day, you know, unless you have really shitty friends or something. Right. But it's, uh, it's, it's just something that I want you to think big picture and like, you changing your lifestyle and your habit and your body composition like year round, like should allow you to take these trips with more confidence to, to practice some of these things while you're on vacation to, 
um, to show off the hard work and the progress that you've been able to do, you know, doing these things instead of just giving these short, you know, two week bursts towards improving your nutrition. I wouldn't even call it improving your nutrition. You know, this, this idea of like, you know, just depriving yourself for a couple of weeks just to try and lose a little bit of weight is not taking care of yourself. I want to make that clear, but again, I just, I just want you to think big picture and how all of this fits into everything that you're working towards. So at the end of the day, do what you want to do. That's the only opinion that matters, but that's my two cents on that too. So, well, awesome. That is all I had today. I appreciate you listening as always. Thank you again to everybody who asked a question. And until next time, remember to eat with a purpose, train with intention, and think with confidence as you work towards your own nutrition and fitness goals. Hope you have a good one and I'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.